0: Welcome to the ATX Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Riley. The ATX Podcast is an interview show with noteworthy Austinites about their lives, their work, and their city. In this episode, I interview Alan Graham, founder and CEO of Community First Village. During our conversation, Alan talks about how more than 100 once chronically homeless individuals now live at Community First, the methods and principles of the village, and its plans for growth into the future. All right, Alan, uh, well, first of all, thanks for taking the time. I know you're a busy man, so appreciate you coming on the show, and uh, it's great to meet you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks. I just got the uh, quick 20-minute tour of, of what's going on at uh, Community First, and it's a, it's an incredible place. I want to get into what is going on here more specifically and in detail, but before I do that, I am interested to kind of get your story about what brought you to make a place like this and learn about your, the, your path that brought you to want to um, spend so much time and energy making something like what exists here. I, my understanding is that you were a developer uh, earlier in your life and um, was, was creating something like Community First always a long-term goal of yours from the time you were a young man or, or not necessarily? Uh, very
1: not necessarily. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: no, not at all on the, uh, on the radar
1: screen. So, uh, in fact, as, uh, Mobile Loaves and Fishes was starting to get its legs with the food truck operation. Yeah. Um, uh, I just f- became enamored with that side of the operation and felt called to basically leave my development business uh, behind me. Yeah. Uh, and I, You know, I don't know why, but I thought that we could expand that uh, truck operation on a very significant national uh, basis. And we did expand nationally, but it wasn't all that significant. Mm -hmm. But my journey was really a spiritual journey, and I think that God had a plan to— you know, really in essence moved me back into the real estate development business because mm-hmm. in essence, that's what we do here.
0: Mm. Was volunteerism something that was a part of you from your early teenage years? Was, did you always have that sense of philanthropy and giving back or, or also not necessarily?
1: Um, you know, uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, my, my mother battled some mental health issues tremendously and mm. was, uh, institutionalized a lot over the course of my child my childhood and you know up until she uh, passed away and so I think it was tremendously impacted you know kind of an, on a subliminal basis by, yeah. by that when I was in high school I ended up um in, in most things that I've ever done in my life I've always ascended to a leadership yeah. role in that And I don't know if that's because I'm a natural leader or whether I'm a narcissist. So we'll have somebody has got to figure that out someday. But in high school, in the 70s, there used to be an organization in Alvin, Texas, called Teens Aid the Retarded, TARS. And it was uh, closely connected to Special Olympics Mm -hmm. at that time. And there was a, a volunteer group of high school people that I ascended to the presidency of that organization, working primarily with uh, uh, mentally challenged uh, and primarily Down syndrome uh, uh, kids and young adults. And I just had a blast in in that deal. Uh, the, the people that I were hanging around with, we had a good time. Uh, I'm still in connection with several of those. I had an internship one year, uh, during the summertime, uh, between, uh, probably sophomore and junior year of high school, uh, that was profound. And I think that, uh, kind of set something in me, but by the time I left that, uh, you know, I, I left that behind me and didn't think twice about it, uh, came up here to Austin, Texas to go to the university of Texas and, uh, just kind of moved into, you know, adult debauchery <laughs> and, uh, but something must be in my DNA because I've, I've always had compassion, uh, for people, uh, but not necessarily empathy, mm-hmm. which are two different mm-hmm. uh, things.
0: I agree. How do you distinguish those two different characteristics?
1: Um, You know, compassion, the word compassion comes from two Latin words, com and pati, which means to or to suffer with. Uh, And in the modern day language, it's kind of a very liberal, oh, I feel sorry for you. But the reality is, is um, you not only need to, you, you have to feel that, you have to feel that suffering of the, of the human person. And so I think when I was working with uh, Mentally Challenged and Down Syndrome, well, they're the happiest people on the planet, uh, honestly, So, uh, and I'm pretty doggone happy. Um, and so uh, I've really invested an extraordinary amount of time in even remotely trying to understand uh, people's suffering. I've slept with them on the streets for 250 to 300 nights. I uh, live in the community Uh, with them. I see people battling their trauma, whether it's addictions or uh, mental health issues. Whereas empathy, I'm not sure how to, you know, 100% describe it, but I can tell you on personality tests that I've done, my empathy level is very low. Uh, So let's say that you don't pay rent here. Uh, I, I have compassion for you, but you're going to move out. Uh, And so I'll throw you under the bus Mm -hmm. and not think twice about it. If you break the law, I will call the police. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not empathetic to those uh, types of issues. And I think it makes it really a pretty interesting combo because I'm fairly disciplined about those things. And when you you know the number one rule that I created here to live in this community. Number one above all rules is you must pay rent. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And as a result, I just got a report last week at our board meeting. Uh, year to date through September, we collected seven hundred thousand dollars worth of rent, and and we've written off two thousand seven hundred bucks. It's nothing as a yep. result. So. Uh, I think the empathy and sometimes people take empathy too too far. Well, they're hurting and they, you know, and all this, and I, I just don't, I don't feel
0: much of that hmm. in the tour that we just, uh, that I just went on. And and in the research that, um, I've done on the, on the community, I would love to get from your words, a description of, and we went through a, a number of, I think there were three primary roles. The first being the one you just articulated, which is you must pay rent, paint the picture for someone who has never been to this facility or is just hearing about it what at a high level this place is and what in your mind makes it at least thus far a sustainable enterprise well it's a 51 acre master plan community that will
1: ultimately have about 550 homes Uh, we're under construction on phase two adding 310 homes right now it's an rv park on steroids Uh, it's designed specifically to lift the chronically homeless men and women of the streets of Austin, Texas into a place that they can heal from the ravages of living on the streets and, uh, discover, uh, a home. Hmm. Uh, and when I say chronically homeless, I'll tell you that our average age here is 55 years old. Average time on the streets is, uh, 10 years. Hmm. And the average age of death is just under 60 years old. Hmm. So we're talking the most despised, outcast, lost and forgotten men and women that you see standing on our uh, street corners and underneath our bridges. People that are smoking crack, heroin, alcoholics, prostitutes, convicted felons. uh, You name it. Those are the people that we we love the most. Hmm. Now, in this community, 80% of the population or are formerly chronically homeless. 20% of us have never been homeless uh, before in our lives and are called spiritually to live in community, mm. uh, with these men and women.
0: Mm. And the, th- those chronically homeless, how do you find them with the, the, the background for most of them? Is there a typical story that leads you to meet with them and a process that, in, in that begins whereby you're, Vetting them or learning about their story that leads to potential residents here. What what, what is that typical narrative or story look like?
1: It's a um, it's a relatively arduous process, several hoops uh, to jump through. Are um, the barriers are low to get in, but we want to know everything there is to know about you because we can't help you if we don't
0: know. Yeah,
1: and so um, the first. Uh, hoop that one must jump through is meeting the definition of a chronically homeless person. And that for us is a and this is built and modified a little bit of off of the HUD uh, definition, which is an unaccompanied male or female. So no children Hmm. with a disabling condition. And for us, that can be uh, physical, mental or addiction having lived on the streets of Austin for at least one year, are episodically homeless, adding up to a year over a three-year period of time. Hmm. So in Austin, in every major city, there's a homeless management information system. It's a requirement of the government. Uh, And in that system in Austin, Texas, are tens of thousands of records of people over the past decade or so have had touch points into the homeless service Deal whether it's hospitals, clinics, shelters, criminal justice, whatever. So I'm able to go in and look up Alan Graham as an example, and uh, and see, and if my name doesn't show up, uh, then there's other ways to discern that. But it's uh, you know far more complicated. Then within that system, there's a uh, there's an assessment tool called a coordinated assessment that asks a series of questions in an effort to ascertain your vulnerability. Uh, And they rank you on a 1 to a 17 in that system, 17 being extremely vulnerable and you could die on the streets or something cataclysmic could happen to you on the streets, down to a 1, which we kind of euphemistically call the cream of the crop of the chronically homeless. And um, and then they come out here. There's two prospective neighbor tours every month. So people uh, need to come out here and go, hey, I want to live here. And if they like it, then they fill out an application here and a whole new gauntlet uh, uh, starts. It takes months uh, to get in here. But man, the the wait is worth it.
0: It sounds like from the information I have, I received on the tour that you're Almost at capacity, but at present it's roughly in the high 80s of occupancy of available units. Is no, that- we're in the 90s. We're 90s. probably at 93
1: uh, percent. Okay, uh, right now occupancy. It, so it's uh, by the time you get to about 95 ish, uh, it you're full.
0: That length of period, that length of time, the arduous process, the relatively arduous process you were mentioning. How long in total does that generally take before someone is packing up whatever belongings they actually own and have and, and, and actually move in here
1: it, it depends there's not a precise uh, uh number it uh, I would say on average is probably in the four to six months range but if your name kind of comes up and we're ready to communicate with you and then all of a sudden we call the phone number that you left us but you know your three or four numbers passed that phone number which is uh, it which is the not the exception it's the rule, Mm -hmm. uh, and we can't locate you. We you know, we go and lift the next person up. And so uh it really it really depends.
0: So let's say I know someone or I am that individual who day one is moving into this village. Paint the picture of what that looks like for that individual as they're as they're becoming a part of this community.
1: Well it's a um it's a it's a shock and awe and and a disbelieving Situation. So if you go back to average age, 55, average time on the streets, 10 years, our friends come from phenomenally traumatic backgrounds. We believe that the single greatest cause to homelessness is a profound, catastrophic loss of family. Um, And so the trauma goes all the way back into childhood. There's been extraordinary distrust with other humans in their lives that began with their own families. And that extended into a broken system of services that are, you know, cobbled together with Band-Aids, basically. Um, and so by the time they get here, they're extraordinarily distrustful. They're also culturally connected to the streets. Uh, and we have had people that have moved in and didn't sleep in a bed for three months. And so uh, that's the number one issue uh, here. Is trying to make that uh, transition as smooth and as comfortable as uh, possible.
0: And by design, in addition to providing that permanent housing option for them as they move in, what what other components, what secret sauce, what what cultural elements are? you and your team trying to create to ease that transition and, and make that that transition as successful as, as possible?
1: Well, our model is extraordinary relational as opposed to transactional. We think that we can solve homelessness with housing. We have a phrase that says housing will never solve homelessness, but community will. So it's all about building that family environment. Here in this community, there's no, uh, there's no back doors, no backyards, uh, only front porches. Uh, no fences um and so uh, we actually call this a 250 bedroom 20 million dollar mansion and uh, and so it, it's it's all about welcoming people uh into this environment i was with a friend on uh, saturday night took him to the auto parts store to try to find a part which didn't happen uh And then he panhandled me to go to the grocery store. And next thing you know, I'm out another hundred bucks uh, buying fish and French fries that they take down to one of the kitchens that you saw and cooked up uh, a banquet feast of uh, fried catfish meal and fed a bunch of people down there. And I was one of them. Yeah. And, um, and, and drank a beer or two with the, with the guys. And, um, uh, and I was riding with him and, you know, I just said, uh, You know, and he's been here a couple of years because he's never been in a place where he's felt love here. And I I asked him, how much much crack are you smoking? Because, you know, he was a a former crackhead. He goes, I'm not going to lie to you. Periodically, I do. But it's nothing compared to when I was on the streets. It was every day living on the streets. And here it's periodic and social. Hmm. And uh, that may be hard for some of our listeners to hear that, but that's the reality of what's here. But look, we got an outdoor Alamo Draft House movie theater. We have a bed and breakfast. We have micro enterprises uh, on the property that allow people to earn a dignified income. And this year alone, we will exceed $800,000 in that dignified income. We have a medical clinic, a store, uh, a car care business where you can bring your car and get uh, the oil changed and state inspection. We have an art house, pottery operation, jewelry making. Uh, We have a blacksmithing shop, wood shop. We have a a glass blowing shop, a full blown organic farming operation. It's really uh,
0: quite a machine. Yeah. And my understanding is that, as you mentioned, the first rule is that you have to pay rent and the rent Fluctuates based upon the residents that you have, ranging somewhere between the high 100s per month and roughly 400 or 500. 225
1: a month would be the lowest rent in a canvas sided cottage, which is a very nice, expensive, fully furnished, fully electric tent. Yeah. Uh, Up to about uh, 500 a
0: month for a fully self contained RV. Mm. Uh, For a new resident that potentially has not earned an income in months or years. Is there a ramp period whereby they're being trained for skills that once they obtain them, almost certainly will allow them to generate that kind of income? How does that financial system work? Well, 80%
1: of our neighbors that uh, move into this community, well, 80% of the people that live in this community are receiving SSI or SSDI. So it's a supplemental income based upon your disability from and through Social Security. So that's 80% of our people. If you come here with no income, we have to we have to put an in, an income stability plan hmm. uh, in place. Otherwise, you can't get in, and and that comes from a variety of sources, including uh, government sources through other agencies that have uh, rapid rehousing funding or other funding sources uh, through the city, where your first few months of rent can be underwritten along with. Uh, uh, your deposit and pet deposits and, and things like that. And so what we do is we try to cobble together. Uh, if we think that you're uh, super eligible for, uh, SSI or SSDI, uh, it can take as little as six months to move you through that system and get a court hearing, uh, uh or it can take a year and a half or, or longer, uh, but during that period of time, we've got to figure out uh, what other sources of income are out there. And so, uh, you know, we have all of our micro enterprises that are a big possibility for mm. them.
0: And rent for a new resident is due 30 days after they move in?
1: No, day one, day just one. like your deal. <laughs> yeah, we want a, We want a deposit, your rent, and a pet deposit before you ever step foot on this property. Yeah. So that has to happen. And we're not the rent paying people. We we have ways of navigating that, but um, we're not, uh, we don't subsidize rent. Hmm.
0: In terms of the disabilities of the people that come in here with, as you mentioned, many of them have had extreme trauma in their lives, mental health issues. How in the hell do you begin to address that from a medical perspective to, to, you know, it's, is it a combination of trying to provide community and medical assistance? What is the approach to try to, you know, improve someone's quality of life and and potentially their sanity as they begin to move into a community like this?
1: Yeah. And so I'm going to, you know, give you my anecdotal deal and that's for somebody that, uh, my entire life. Yeah with maybe the exception of the first three or four years of my life, have lived in that. So I've got 60 years of deep experience uh, in this area. Uh, and even though my mom had a lot of problems, for the most part, it was manageable with episodes of you know mania yeah. that would require some hospitalization. And most of that was probably due to the uh, diminishing efficacy of the medications that she were on because the medications are going to have to be changed. And so I'm going to make a statement. I don't want emails from people, you know. Uh, but I feel like that in the right circumstances, mental health issues are relatively manageable under the under the right Caring environment, the right medications, the right treatments, the right love—all the things that go into that deal—which we can provide here. Now, the moment that you pour on top of that a cocktail of uh, drugs and alcohol, it's a—that's a game changer. And so that's where I see a hundred percent of the issues that we have out here. But there's no rapes and murders and pillaging and plundering that goes on out here. It's a bunch of knucklehead behavior that's related to uh, uh, drugs and alcohol.
0: Mm. I know it sounds like with phase two, there is a massive medical facility that is being uh, built. Um, I'm sure to try to extend the services that you can provide here to the residents. At present, do you feel like you you and your team and your medical, I assume volunteers largely, can provide the medical assistance that's generally needed by the residents who are facing serious mental health issues.
1: Well, we have nothing to do with the medical side of that and that will be operated. No one will be a volunteer there. Everybody will be paid. So everybody that's in that facility will be paid. Uh, Our partnerships are with all the uh, people that are in the, in the system that are the expert medical care providers uh, through central health, community care, integral care, uh, in these populations of, of people, and they they have professional, full time physicians, uh, nurses, psychiatrists, uh, caseworkers, social workers, and um, uh, and we're partnered with those uh, those folks in order to to pull this off. Okay,
0: I know uh, there are many dozens and hundreds of success stories. It seems like of people who are successfully living in the community. I have there been other instances where. As you mentioned, you have rules here. If rules are not abided by, there comes a point where people need to be removed from the community? Oh,
1: absolutely. So uh, since we've opened four years ago, we've lifted 257 people, I think, up off the streets. And I think there's a, you know, in the low 180s here. But mm-hmm. uh, several have died. Uh, a few have reconnected to family. A few uh, have chosen a different housing uh, deal. Uh and then uh you know probably 20 or 25 of that number have been uh, been evicted or you know we call it being excommunicated from the yeah. community so yeah
0: yeah is that your call is that the call of a, a team here how, how do you decide when it's time to to boot someone out
1: it's a it's a call of a team yeah. uh periodically i'll have uh some input on that and i'm almost always will be informed of uh you know, what's going on, yeah. And, uh, but I don't have to hear uh, about everyone. I live here, yeah. I work here, so I'm here kind of 24 hours a day, <laughs> so I know the people that are pulling the bullshit here. And, uh, um, you know, in the past we've had pretty extreme grace and mercy, uh, but our goal is community first, to protect the community, individual second. And so if the individual is creating, you know, a real negative uh, collateral presence uh, in the community, uh, we're going to do what we can to mitigate that. But if it gets to a point that we can't mitigate that, it, it's going to end and uh, you're going to have to go
0: somewhere else. Yeah. Do you feel like now, given that there have been 25 people that have had to be removed from the community, that you're, you and your team are getting better at noticing the trends earlier uh, and maybe just even weeding them out entirely from the application process. no learning uh, a, a tremendous amount. Nobody's yeah. ever done this before, yeah. so there's no there's
1: no book, and there never will be no a <laughs> book it's uh, it's real time real life uh, you know almost battlefield level uh, experience. and um, it, you know you learn uh, from these things as time goes on. so uh, we're a sponge here, and we we make no bones that. Uh, this is building a 747 while it's flying.
0: Yeah. And speaking of the community, the community is, is, um, you know, looking like it's going to be expanding massively over the, the coming years. Talk about your goals. You know, if you, if you had, um, the ability to create the the best possible scenario for the community over the next three to four years, what would that look like from your perspective?
1: Uh, well, we have phase two that's uh, nearing uh, completion. People will start moving in probably in february march yeah. uh, time fairing will probably be fully scaled and uh moving at the speed of you know light in terms of mobile loaves and fishes by summertime mm-hmm. um and then i'm uh, pursuing you know another large tract of land to do something that's uh, pretty pretty significant and so I've got to get in the pipeline. We launched back in uh, November of 2017 a, uh, a 10 year, $60 million capital campaign yeah. uh, to do phase two, three, and a four. And uh, I've got to be getting uh, phase three in the, uh, in the bank, so to speak. So that's, that's what I'm working a lot on right now
0: how does that work? You know, you were a developer yourself to, to generate that amount of revenue or income or donations to, to get a, a $60 million plan off the ground. Is that what takes up most of your time and, and how, how exactly have you successfully implemented that in the past?
1: Well, um, it, you know, all of the money that we've raised here, especially on the capital side of things has all been uh, privately funded and it's, um, uh, it's all about being laser focused uh, with the vision, mission, core values, and goals. That I mean, we're laser focused. We don't waver. We only work with the chronically homeless. This is how we do it. Yeah. Uh, we don't engage with all the other hoopla that goes on around in the city, like we have going on right now. We just stay focused on what it is that we're doing. Uh, when you're passionate uh, the way that we are, and you're laser focused the way that we are, you you attract people that want to be around. Yeah. You and And so we've been fortunate enough to attract a lot of uh, a lot of interest. This podcast, as an example, will be who knows where that will lead. Somebody will listen to this and go, "I want to go out there and look at this thing and mm-hmm. uh, you know they might be a billionaire or, or you know a hundred millionaire and want to come out here and be able to really participate in a big big way. So yeah.
0: The numbers, as I understand it in Austin, are something like, there are roughly 2,100 chronically homeless people in Austin itself. This community is already housing something like approaching 10% of them. Um, with the expansion, that's that's forthcoming phase two. it How many beds are in addition to be added to this community? And at the end of that phase two, What what kind of percentage dent do you hope to make in the chronically homeless population of Austin?
1: Well, the problem is you got to assume that no more people are uh, flowing into the to the deal, and that's uh, sadly not the case. And uh, and so uh, when you look at what's happening, you know, like it's a river, uh, you know, we're, we're catching people way down the river from where the real problem exists. The real problem is the profound catastrophic loss of family and how do we rebuild the cultural nature of the family. And I'm not trying to describe what a family is, but I'm talking about a place where a kid can grow up and be uh, treasured and loved and nourished and nurtured uh, in a beautiful cellular uh, environment. Uh, so that they don't end up in the foster care system. They don't end up on uh, drugs and alcohol. Their parents aren't going to prison. And, mm. you know, there's just a lot of issues uh, like that. But um, I don't trust numbers uh, very much, yeah. uh, except what's in my bank account. <laughs> um, I can trust that uh, for the most part. Every now and then uh, somebody tries to get into my bank account and they got to get a new card. But... Um, the number suggests that there's about 21, 2200 people in Austin and about half of those are unsheltered. And that would be the population. So it's actually probably more like a 1000, 1200 people, but nobody really knows yep. and understands the full depth and breadth cuz it's hard to count. Yeah. How do you count, you know, people that are living in culverts and in urban camps and uh I I've got a camp, you know, that got set up here. I just Came from there, you know, on a piece of property next door uh, to us, brand new. Nobody's
0: counting that. Yeah. So. Hmm. Uh, for for people for admission here, is there any sort of criteria aside from the one you already articulated of being chronically homeless? Uh, that's required for entry? Is it literally that simple that if you can demonstrate that, that you are potentially eligible for yeah, residency? Yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, unaccompanied male, female with a disability.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also understand that, and I think there, there's actually a meeting going on as we speak downstairs of people from outside of Austin learning about this community to potentially implement a model at least somewhat similar to what's going on here elsewhere in the world. Tell me about if that's over the last few years or when you noticed that there was interest or traction from other places or other cities in the world or in the U S how has that progressed and what do you think it is that attracts outsiders to learn about what's going on here? We've
1: actually had a lot of interest over a lot of years, even when this was just a mustard seed of an idea. Uh, we had an article, God, probably in 06, 07, Mm -hmm. maybe 08 at the latest, uh, in the New York Times, of all places, they sent a writer down here. Hmm. I think a lot of us, due to my promoting mentality. I'm a promoter. <laughs> I call myself the P.T. Barnum for the homeless. And um, and so um, if you look at all of the media attention that we have garnered uh, over the years, I think there's just a crescendo that's happening right now. and um, And I think there is a... Growing frustration uh, that uh, you know our government can't deal with this problem, and and frankly, we don't think the government should be dealing with the problem other than in a subsidiary way uh, to you and I. So I think there's a lot of hope in the country by a lot of people, and this has kind of become uh, the hope du jour. Yeah, and. Um, we believe that we've created a new movement time will tell, uh, whether we have, uh, you know, or not. Mm. So I'm not going to stand here and proclaim that we have, we don't even use the word solution. We just think that we have a power, powerful piece of the, of the puzzle, mm-hmm. uh, to making a difference in all of our cities. And I think people are coming in. So they, we have a quarterly, three day symposium. Today's number one. Uh, we, we even have a guy from Australia in there that, uh, Flew down from uh, Tasmania. Amazing. No.
0: Yep. For somebody that might be listening to this who is interested in, at some point, learning and maybe even coming here about the specifics of how you're able to run this and what the model looks like, what's the process by which they would try to get in touch with your team or uh, be, attend one of the symposiums? How would you recommend them trying well, to get
1: in touch with Well, our website is, uh, you know... Uh, You know, I'm I'm pretty proud of our website. I'm proud of our team that does our website. It's, uh, uh, I mean, websites are a lot better today because people really see the value of those tools. Uh, uh, But some of them get dated pretty fast. Ours doesn't. You can go on our website right now and find all the things. We have a a team that's uh, dealing with that every single day. It Mm -hmm. surprises me. I go on all the time and go, oh, wow, this is new. You know, and um, uh, so the symposiums are there. We're sold out through February. Hmm. I think the next one after the February will be uh, probably May Hmm. and then August. Um, And so uh, I would suggest getting online. And if you're interested in doing this and, and registering for the next available one.
0: I'm sure there's a lot of detail that goes into information that's exchanged during this symposium. If you had a few points or maybe even one key point as to a recommendation you would make to a city that is really struggling with the homeless problem right now, is it that component of this community that it is community focused and that is at the the sort of the soul of the entire entity or what what would be your one or two pieces of advice for cities like that? Well, jump
1: off of the uh, unicorns Flying in on magic carpet, yeah. Uh, idea that you're going to solve this problem, and uh, I think if we begin with the care th- side of things first, that we ultimately orient our way towards the cure hmm. side. And uh, and you know, right now we just focus n- not us here, but culturally focus on the cure. Everybody is yelling and screaming at city hall. They're really the you know the one the perpetrators of this massive problem, and why can't they fix it? Well, policy can't fix it. Uh, policy can aid uh, in that, but I believe the marketplace and particularly the church uh, is to me the the primary tool if we can empower people into that being more innovative in what
0: we do. Hmm. When you set out to build this, is what exists here basically what you were trying to accomplish? I mean, is the success of this place um, make you feel satisfied that at least at this point in time you have accomplished what you set out to do? Uh, well, I don't think this place looks anything
1: like what I set out uh, to do. Uh, and really all I wanted to do was build an RV park. <laughs> it was a KOA. Uh, there, there were going to be tent camping sites, simple. There were going to be camping cottages and there were going to be RVs, mm-hmm. uh, because I started purchasing RVs and lifting people up into privately owned RV parks around the the city. And that, that was, that was doing it. And, um, but when I was raising, uh, when Trish and I were raising our family and we'd travel to places, we would often stay in RV parks and camping ca- cottages or, our our tents and there were it was like a there was this weird sense of community inside these deals and so that's really what i was after was Mm. that was that inherent sense of community Um, and then my leadership style is one i mean i'm i'm an extraordinarily focused Mm. human being when i get on point i am on point and um and but when you decide to jump in with me uh, and bring your giftings to the table, provided that it is in complete alignment with our vision, mission, values, and goals, uh, then we end up with an outdoor Alamo draft house movie theater. We end up with a bed and breakfast. Who would build a bed and breakfast in the middle of the community to design to lift the chronically homeless up off the streets? And it's probably one of the most successful B and B's in the United States of America. It's, can't get a room there right now. Yeah, it's packed. Nineteen units, unbelievable, and um, and you know, an organic farming operation, and all the things that we have here, uh, all came through the creativity and innovation of other people that wanted to align with us and our
0: vision, mission, core values, and goals. And just to clarify that that piece there about the B and B, there are RVs and tiny houses, as I understand it, that are. Open to the public for rentals to TPs, come and be a part. Yurts,
1: microhouses, uh, tidy houses, and RVs. Yeah. All surrounding a 500 seat uh, uh, amphitheater uh, with a 44 foot, 44 foot outdoor movie theater.
0: Yeah. For people who live here, this podcast is is focused on Austin itself and 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 what is happening in this town. Who hear this and are interested in assisting or using some of their creativity to to help the village, um, what do you need? what What would be what would be the most uh, useful addition from the community of Austin to this place? Well, I don't know what that uh, would
1: actually be. I mean, people ask me all the time, Alan, what do you need besides money? And the answer is always more money. <laughs> and um, um, But um, we have a philosophy here called the HP ratio to the power of G to the exponential power of G. It's heart over pocket hmm. to the power of God equals unstoppable momentum. And so what we want to do, is number one, number one goal of Mobile Loads and Fishes, by the way, is to transform the paradigm as to how people view the stereotype of the homeless. Hmm. And the only way that you do that is by engaging uh, with people that have experienced that. So come out here. You have to come to the village. Yeah. Th- this podcast is has no capability of describing what this place is like. But what it does have the power to do is inspire you into taking a trip seven and a half miles north and east of downtown Austin. That's where we are. And come and look at this place and be blown away by what you see, and then we'll see what gifts. I don't know what gifts you have, man. If you're a baker, you can come out here and do baking. If you're a musician, we have a band out here that's uh, phenomenal, the Pure Goodness Band. Mm. Uh, uh, If you're a, a farmer, a gardener, you know, uh, if you're a builder of things, if you're just a relater, you can befriend some of our neighbors. Art, blacksmithing, it, it just goes on and on.
0: Yeah. It, it seems like it, it, they're undeniably that your faith and God have played a huge role in your inspiration, your motivation, your energy that you've committed to this place. Is there a place here? And, and I know that's a component of, of, of your story. Is there a place here for people who are. Don't share the Christian view who wanna be a part of this community but are not you know exactly inclined they may have very similar morals that you have and your team may have, but don't share the you know supernatural viewpoint that a lot of the people here might yeah we uh we welcome every human being onto this property
1: uh no matter what uh what 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 they are yeah uh where where, <clears throat> where they come from spiritually. Look, we just believe that you know, God's going to have to work out all the bullshit. That's not up to me. Uh, My fundamental call and the commandment flows out of the great commandment to first love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and then the big one, to love your neighbor as -hmm. yourself. And so uh, I'm called to love my neighbor, no matter who they are and where they come from. So I make no judgment about that. They Mm -hmm. have to do that. They want to understand where I come from spiritually and stuff. I'm happy to share that with them. But we don't proselytize here in order to uh, tell people that, you know, you got to repent and follow Jesus or you're going to go to hell or any of that other stuff. I'm going to let God work that deal out. I'm just going to love on you to the best way I can and work out my own salvation in fear and trembling. That's where I'm at.
0: Yeah. You know. The for where you are now at this point in your life and the the story that you've painted in terms of coming from your background with with your mom and working with um, individuals with mental health issues when you were I guess a teen or earlier in your life to now, um, is there any doubt in your mind that this this is your life's work that this this is um, it continues to be the kind of meaningful job that I'm sure at certain days are uh, tiresome and difficult to do. Um, is it still, you know, uplifting to you? Does it still, um, make you feel like it's all worth it when you look around at, at what this, uh, place is, is, is doing in people's lives and, and that, um, it, it, it satisfies you from a, you know, existential perspective that, that this is what you're supposed to be doing.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you can ask all the people that are around me, uh, particularly my wife, my five kids, uh, and you know my closest uh, friends and staff member. A day never goes by that I'm not excited yeah. uh, to be a part of this movement. Uh, I'm charged every single day. I feel like I'm perhaps maybe one of the most optimistic people on the face of the planet. It would be rare that I would have uh, any kind of a bummer day and if i have a bummer day and those are those are extremely rare they're they're very temporary because i just plow uh, through that uh, there is no question uh, that this is my purpose in life this is what i was called to uh, this will be what i'm doing until i can no longer uh, do it yeah. uh, and what role i will be in at that uh, point in time because I'm I'm building up a, an organization that will uh, will completely last beyond my deal. So. Yeah.
0: Last question I want to ask you um, before you wrap up. Um, it, I'm sure you've done dozens or if not hundreds of interviews about this place um, in in your time here what is either something that you feel like the public does not understand about what is going on here or what is a question that you wish a journalist and interviewer would have asked you during one of those conversations, but hasn't so that you could set the record straight or answer it directly?
1: Um, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, I've probably been asked and answered almost every question, uh, on the planet. I get Virtually no curveballs. I've only had one curveball thrown at me in my life. It came from a little kindergartner, <laughs> a little girl. Um, I went and did a talk at a elementary school and um, and showed the video. And the kids are watching the video. They're sitting on the ground and I'm in the video. And then they they turn around. They're just they're in complete awe that the guy that's on TV is in the room with mm-hmm. them. At that moment. And then the video's done. I give a little kindergarten-level talk, and this I, go, I ask if there's any questions. This little girl raises her hands, and she goes, Mr. Graham, what was it like serving the homeless on horseback? And I, do I look that old to you? You little snotty kid. No, I didn't do that, <laughs> but uh, we landed the guy on the moon. <laughs> what are you talking about on oh, horseback? But it was just cute. Yeah, caught me yeah. <laughs> I loved it I've shared it a million times uh, but here's the deal I'm going to tell you that in the history of the world in the history of man uh, occupying this earth never ever ever in all of history that a little 12 year old boy or girl lay in bed at night In that twilight zone between being awake and going to sleep, looking out their window at the starry, starry nights, dreaming about what they were going to be when they grew up, never, ever, ever did they dream about being homeless, Mm. smoking crack, smoking meth, shooting heroin, being a drug addict, prostituting, you know, sleeping under a bridge. Yeah no one has ever made that choice and that oftentimes resignation is design, is disguised as choice as a proud human we often tell people we've chosen this because it 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 may it puts us in control yeah. and uh And then on our end of the deal, those of us that have never experienced it and those that excoriate that, we use that excuse. They've chosen that in order that we don't have to get involved in that deal. But I'm going to tell you that in the 21 years of being in the bowels of this city and working with so many uh, chronically homeless men and women, I've never met one that chose that lifestyle. Yeah. So that's what I want
0: people to know. Fair enough. I really appreciate your time. I know you are incredibly busy. So thank you for sitting down and coming on and telling your story. No, this is awesome. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the ATX podcast. For more information, follow the show on social media. Its handle is the ATX podcast and on the show's website, the ATX